Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. We're, we're, we're excited about preaching the Magnificat. I, I was actually zooming across the internet and I saw something. I thought, that's fascinating. Let me go look it up. And it was actually the president, who is also named Matt, Matt Ayers of our, of our seminary, teaching on something. And he was saying, as he was teaching on it, he says, a professor gave me an article. I thought, whoa, what professor would it? Wait a minute. I tipped him off on this. He wrote about it. Now I'm, this is a full circle thing. I'm now checking out what he wrote so I could tell you this. In 1807, apparently, there was something put together called the Slave Bible. I had no idea. The Slave Bible offered Caribbean slaves a highly edited version of the King James Version. And you might imagine why it would be highly edited. They loved for those slaves to read some parts of the Bible, but not other parts of the Bible. So for instance, they didn't mind telling the story of the Exodus up through Joseph, because Joseph was enslaved and, uh, and was kind of helpful as he was enslaved. They loved covering that part. They did not cover the Moses part, the set free part. They didn't, that's not in the slave Bible. So that, that's, that's what they went in. It did. By the way, Thomas Jefferson did this with uh, the, the Bible one time. He says, I believe in the moral teachings. I'm not so sure about the miracles. So let me go in and get rid of all the miracles and I'll paste it back together. And it'll be called, he didn't, I don't think he intended for it called the Jefferson Bible, but it's called the Jefferson Bible. You can actually buy a copy of it if you like. Don't buy a copy of it because it leaves out stuff, leaves out the miracles, uh, has all the teachings, not the miracles. Uh, so this is kind of the same thing. Let's leave in everything that could possibly keep a slave happy in their enslavement and anything that deals with freedom or with justice or the rich person being deposed. Let's cut that out. And so they did. And they reproduced it. And in the Caribbean, it was widely distributed to the slaves so they could read part of the Bible. By the way, interesting things. I just told you, the Joseph narrow narrative was in, the Moses narrative was out. Also things like you might imagine would be this, Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse has got to go. And it did go. It wasn't in the slave Bible. So what I find fascinating about all this is the Psalter, the Psalms, they said, lost cause, forget about it. Let's just throw the whole thing out. They're in the Psalms in the Slave Bible. And the reason for that is because the Psalms are obsessed with the Lord's liberating justice for the oppressed. It's hard to read the Bible, but definitely it's hard to read the Psalms without recognizing, yep, there are wicked people. They're not going to be forever there in power. They're coming down. One of the reasons they're coming down is we're complaining to God. Bring them down. They're coming down. The wicked will, do not win. The righteous will win because God wins and we're on his side. So you look through the Psalms. One of the, there's lots of words in, uh, for, in the Old Testament for justice, but one of them is mishpat, and it shows up 65 times in 33 different chapters, 33 different Psalms, which is just amazing to me. Uh, the oldest known uh, title for the book of Psalms is praises. 
And that word praises probably ought to mean something to us because if we're worshiping a God that is not just, that it will not raise up the oppressed, that is not against the wickedness of the world, then guess what? We're worshiping the wrong God. And there'll be some people say, and that's what's wrong with the church today. We don't have... Austin, maybe you need to solve this. Maybe you need to get together with some of my songwriter kids and say, let's write some songs like this. Because this whole thing, I'm telling you, comes from a a Christianity Today article written by Michael Rhodes. And this is, listen to this, Austin. He said, this is the name of the article. Why don't we sing justice songs in worship? Question mark. Let's swap sloppy wet kiss for break the arm of the wicked man. Hey, listen, I want to lavishly fall in love with the Lord. But I also want to recognize this loving Lord says some strong things about wickedness. Says some strong things about people who are wealthy. Says some strong things about people who are oppressors. And so he moves into our life and say, worship me, I'm that God. Then you get down here to where the psalmist constantly pray to God about these wicked who always are seen to be prospering. And they prosper because they exploit or betray the neighbors. And then I like this. This guy says, prick the Psalter, and you'll find that it bleeds with the cries of the oppressed, pleading for God to act. Now, uh, the reason I like this so much is just this morning, you already know how I do my devotional life. Part of, the most significant part of my devotional life is praying through... Um, Five psalms and one proverb a day. And so the five psalms are based on the date. So today I did Psalm 19 because today's the 19th. Then I simply say when I'm done with that psalm, I go and add 30 and go to Psalm 49, 79. Eventually I get to Psalm 109. And uh, this is what Psalm 109 says. God of my praise. This is what I was praying this morning. God of my praise. Do not be silent, for they have opened a wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have surrounded me with words of hatred. And on and on and on it goes. The psalmist is upset that the wicked seem to be prospering. They seem to be firmly entrenched in their power. And I can't get rid of them. We can't get rid of them. What are we going to do? God, only you can do something about it. Then it ends up like this. With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. And I will praise Him in the midst of many. For He stands at the right hand of the needy to save Him from those who judge His soul. That's what you call ending with a climax. Ending with a big, big, big note. And y'all... There's so many psalms just like that, which is why slave owners didn't want the slaves to read. Because they recognize once they get the message that God doesn't like slave owners, people who traffic in such wickedness, once he, they get the message, these slaves get the message that he is firmly against the wicked and he will bring justice. We might have a riot on our hands. Let's get rid of those verses. So they did. I've got a lot of profound political disagreements with a guy named Jim Wallace. Having said that, 
he did a fun thing one day in seminary. He got a bunch of his classmates together and said, uh, let's go into the Bible and let's underline with red ink all the places where it talks about poverty and wealth and justice and oppression and the wicked. And then let's go in with scissors and cut those things out. So he did it just for fun. And so he had a very messed up Bible, tattered up Bible. And uh, he'd preach out of that Bible. He says, this is the evangelical Bible of today. Notice, it only has the parts that comfort us and make us happy. And y'all, we don't want a Bible like that. We want the Psalms in our Bible. We want to look at these Psalms, meditate on and worship the God that is against the oppressors and for the oppressed, that is for the righteous and against the wicked, that will bring down and finally, finally judge all that is not Him. We want that Bible. We want to meditate on it. We want to praise the God of that Bible. And so, it's interesting that this Magnificat of Mary's shows up. And this Magnificat, which I think is substantial, and Kate was reminding me this morning, is substantially, or at least it seems like, is based on that great song of Hannah's back in 1 Samuel. Read it. It sounds a lot like this thing. I think actually Mary's is a little bit more poetic but it may just be the difference between the Hebrew and the Greek. I don't know anything about that. All I know is this thing sounds like the Psalms. I mean, this sounds like the Psalms. And you heard Miss Linda. Uh, so I just want to suggest to you here, when Mary sings this, this is a song for us. And it's a song we need to pay attention to. And there's two points that has some points underneath them, but there's two points basically I want to make today. Number one, Mary... According to this Magnificat, according to this song that Miss Linda just read, has put herself apparently in the ready position to bring Jesus into the world. How many want to be in the ready position? Uh, you see this, uh, that's not a very good picture, but uh, nonetheless, that kind of puts you, right there's the ready position on defense in basketball, right there. You see it? Now, that doesn't stop everything, but it puts you in a position to stop some things. It puts you in a position to make good defense happen. There's also a ready position, I think, for the, uh, for the offensive player. She's not so much in it right now. But nonetheless, there are positions you want to be in. And we've always said that at this church. Let's be in the ready position where God could use us if he wants to. All day long. Let's be in the ready position. So what is the ready position? I think Mary shares it with us right here. As she goes down and starts listing things, it says she magnifies the Lord. Oh, magnify just simply make him bigger. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? If every instance you're in this week, you're trying to make God bigger in that instance. You're driving home from church today. How could God be bigger in this car than he already is? How can I make him bigger? By the way I'm looking at life. So she says, magnify the Lord and get in the ready position. I have been. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Hey, I'm quite sure we don't rejoice nearly enough in that. Y'all remember what your life was like before Jesus? I, I spoke at a uh, celibate recovery just this uh, last Thursday. And we start off the talk saying, how many of you have ever messed it up so bad that you know not only is your life wrecked, but it's wrecked a bunch of other lives as well? Put your hand up. Every hand went up. Woo! That's us. That's me. I've done something so stupid. So idiotic. And then I go right into David's episode with Bathsheba. 
That's what it means to mess things up so bad. Here, we ought to say, David, after that episode, and after he has been restored to proper kingship of Israel, do you think he rejoiced in his salvation after that? Maybe more than before it. I can rejoice because, oh my goodness, what God has done for me. He has forgiven me. He's helped me to forgive others. He has brought to me a restoration that only God could bring. And I think we ought to rejoice and have great joy in that. And she also speaks of humility. The best posture for you with your faith is humility. Say, God, I'm nothing. You are everything. Then, I love this. I think this whole thing is tied up with personal slavery. She says, I'm a bond servant. Can you imagine, by the way, the slave Bible looking at this and thinking, let's make a decision on the Magnificat. She says she's a, a slave. Oh, that's what bond servant is, slave. She says she's a slave. That'd be a good thing to have. But the problem is, on every side of that word, we've got to edit those out. We'd probably only end up with two things in the Magnificat. Slave, slave. That's all you get out of 10 verses. Slave, slave. You can't do it. Let's just ditch the whole thing. Now, I don't know if they ditched the whole thing. I haven't read the slave Bible has this in it. I guarantee it doesn't. Because she says, yes, I'm a slave of God, but that is what puts her in a position to say all the other things she says. Remember my favorite Bob Dylan song? You got to serve somebody. Now, to say I have a favorite Bob Dylan song is way exaggerating. I, I, man can't sing as far as I'm concerned. But nonetheless, a lot of really incredible songs across many decades. One of his songs he wrote when he was a Christian. He was a Christian for some moments. He says, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I think he had, I think he had it wrong. This is the way I'd sing it. Now, I can't sing either, so, you know, play along with me. you got to serve somebody. It might be you or it might be the Lord but you're going to serve somebody. That's what it comes down to, y'all. It's not so much the devil. You're serving you or you're serving God Almighty. And she says, there's no question, I'm a slave of God. How great is that? And then finally, this. She declares God mighty one and holy. I love this. Mighty one is power. I think holiness probably leans a little bit towards our understanding of purity. That is, God has might. And a lot of us think, yeah, he's got might. I know that. He saved me out of my sin. He's sending me to heaven. Hallelujah. But we're not so sure we want God to make us holy as he is holy, pure as he is pure, without sin like he is without sin. No, I want to keep doing some things. But the preacher told me, if I received him as Lord and Savior, I'm going to heaven. I'm accepting the mighty one. I reject the holy. No, no, I want to actually say that. I just think we do it. He wants to be both your power and your purity. And Mary puts him together here. He's the mighty one, and he is holy. Now, let's get to the second point. You remember the old Kierkegaard, and I've never found it. It may not exist. I just don't know who else to uh, give credit for. So I think it's a Soren Kierkegaard parable of who switched the price tags. We've said this before. This is review, okay? Who switched the price tags? It's like somebody goes in uh, before, uh, let's say, uh, Black Friday, okay? 
That's the big day right after Thanksgiving. Everybody goes in and let's buy up all kinds of fun stuff because all kinds of sales happen on Black Friday in all stores across America. So let's go in and on Thursday night, on Thanksgiving evening before Black Friday, somebody goes in and decides, let's switch the price tags. Everything that is expensive, we're going to make cheap. Everything is cheap, we're going to make expensive. This is going to be hilarious when everybody comes in on Black Friday and starts spending the money. And for instance, the boat, we're going to make the same price as the ball, 39 cents. And the 39 cents, we're going to put on the boat. And so everybody comes in the next day. And everything across the store has a different price tag on it because someone switched the price tags. And there's chaos and there is pandemonium in the store. People are thrilled. People are ticked off. They're storming around mad. There's chaos and pandemonium. Mary does that here. She switches the price tags. The things that we've always thought were really, really important aren't so important anymore. And the things that we've always, always kind of cheapened, those are some of the most special things in the heart of God. And so I just love what, what she does here. Let's look at it together. Noticed the price tag switching. First of all, there is a political tag it says in verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. That's Jesus. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down, she's speaking about God. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Now, wait a minute. Rulers. I mean, we have those in America, right? Every country in the, in, in, uh, in the world has so-called rulers. Now, in America, I'm, uh, I'm happy that for the most part, we put those rulers in power and we can bring them down. But nonetheless, the rulers are not the most important thing in a nation. They're going to be brought down from their thrones. Now, I, I struggle with uh, what some presidents do. Let's just get this down home. And I, same thing for governors. When you hear them talk, they brag about what they did to make this or that good thing happen in our state or in our nation. Look what I did. And because I did this, that happened. Whatever that is. And you know that this is how presidents frequently talk. I did this, that happened. I did that, this happened. Re-elect me. I just hate that when they do that. I like the president some years back that would say this. Uh, the American people are what's great here. I think it's important that we just get out of the way and let the American people be the American people. And when the American people get a chance to operate in this great system of ours, guess what? Greatness is going to come forth. I much prefer that tack, whether you agree with it or not, I much prefer that over the first option. Hey, look at what I did to make us great. Here's somebody saying, look what we did to get out of your way so that you could be great. But you know what's better than all of that? Look what God has done. Left your own devices, we would mess this thing up. Look what God has done. And that's what we start believing about rulers, is if we're going to have a ruler, let that ruler be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let that ruler in our hearts not be any president, not be any governor, not be any... Now you say, well, wait a minute. It talks about such relationships in Scripture. Indeed it does, but never does it say, and you owe them your life. What we owe them is respect. And I 
just go ahead and tell you, I appreciate there are not many of them. I appreciate the people that said over and over again, let's pray for Trump. Those are the same people that today are saying, now let's pray for Biden. Why? Respect is why. There's not many of those people running around. We want to pray for the person that we like in power. What Mary was saying was, doesn't matter, rulers are coming down. It'll especially bring down the oppressors and the wicked. Now, more to the point. Get a load of this. When we say rulers come down, there was a ruler at that point named Herod. It was Herod the Great. And this comes from Jan Hirschman, professor of medicine at the University of Washington, Seattle. This is what he says. Uh, The texts that we depend on for close description of Herod's last days list several major features of the disease that caused his death. Now remember, this is the Herod that went in and said, all boy babies under two years of age have got to die. Why? Because I want to preserve my position in this culture. I understand there might be another king in town. That won't do. And he did lots of other things to murder his own family, for instance. I mean, it's wicked stuff that he did. This is what caused his death as far as Jan Hirschman can tell. There was intense itching, painful intestinal problems, breathlessness, convulsions of every limb, and gangrene of the genitalia. That means that part of your body turns black and rots painfully. Herod wasn't the most important ruler in town. King Jesus was. So, let's keep going here. There is a political price tag that's got to change. Now, there's also a social. Look at verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he's exalted those who were humble. Again, that's the humility thing coming forth. And I believe Jesus said, did he not? The meek will inherit the earth. And the meek are basically those under God's control, those who are humble enough to put themselves totally and completely under the control of God. And Jesus says, those are the ones. The future belongs to the humble. The future belongs to the meek. The future belongs to those people who wonder, do I even have a destiny anymore? Jesus says, oh, yes, you do. All of this in the new heavens and the new earth, it's ours together. Then this, economic. Verse 53 says, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. I don't know if you remember a guy named Upton Sinclair. He was an author and a socialist. And one day showed up, I don't know why, if they wanted a different perspective or what, but a bunch of ministers asked Upton Sinclair to come in and speak. So he went in and spoke. And he gave them some lines that he said came from a woman named Emma Goldman. Now, I don't know if you remember her. She was basically an anarchist agitator. He says, this is what Emma said one day. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have now reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury. 
You have lived on earth in pleasure, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Those ministers became unglued. They were furious. They were foaming at the mouth. She needs to be deposed. Get her out of America if she doesn't like America. Then he said, oh, excuse me, I made a mistake. That wasn't Emma Goldman. That was Jesus' brother, James. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Mary says, we need to switch the price tags on wealth. It's not the people who have it. It's the people who let God have it. That's the ones that count in a culture. And so we say, he switches the price tags on the political. He switches the price tags on the social. He switches the price tags on the economics. And he switches the price tags, as you might imagine, on the spiritual. He has given help to his servant Israel, Mary sings, in remembrance of his mercy. Just like he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. It's a spiritual thing, finally, y'all. Jesus wants to do in our hearts what he wanted to do in the hearts of Israel. And that is that they might commit themselves totally to the covenant of God. That they might become the launch pad for his salvation for the world. That is, they might become the launch pad for Jesus. That's what Abraham was all about. Remember Genesis 12? Come on, Abram. Go to a land. Leave all the wealth behind. Leave all your family behind. And let's go to a land... And from that land, from that nation, from your people, I will bless all other nations, including places like, well, I know you've never heard of it, Abram, but including places like United States of America. Uh, there's a little, going to be a little place there, by the way, in the United States of America called Clinton, Mississippi. I'm going to bless them too. And it's going to happen because you're going to obey me right now. I'm going to make you something extraordinary, spiritually speaking. And from that spirituality... The whole world is going to know. If he said it to Abram, if Mary sang it in the Magnificat, do you think she's still singing it? Do you think that just maybe she sings through Luke 1 into our hearts and lives today to say, I want to change you all spiritually for the salvation of everybody around you? Because listen, when he changes us spiritually, a lot of us think that means I get to go to heaven now. Listen, you're going to heaven, okay? Praise be to God for that. But that's not the greatest thing that's going to happen. That's not the greatest thing that's going to happen. The greatest thing that can happen is a thousand people will come along with you because you allowed God to use you in the lives of those thousand people. The greatest thing that can happen is that you are his slave and you're going to do everything he wants you to do while you're alive on planet earth. And because of that, all eternity will be changed because of your obedience as a slave. That's what it means to be spiritually his. That's what he wants us to be. That's what he wants you to be. Wow. I say this last one, not because it goes last, just because I want it to end up this way. There's a family price tag that gets changed. This isn't just about you, it's for your family. But it's not just about your family either. It's about the families that are going to come from your family. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And his mercy, in verse 50, is from generation after generation. Now that might mean generation 
that's quite apart from any family that would come from Mary's womb, but I got the funny feeling it's very much involved. Y'all, I know you know this, but can I just keep saying things over and over again because I want you to get them? I pray for my fourth generation every day. I pray for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandkids. That's four generations. And I pray things like this, that they would be holy as God is holy, that they would be entirely sanctified, entirely consecrated to the will of the Lord, that they would marry nothing but holy spouses, nothing but holy spouses, and that there'd be no divorce for four generations. Now, that's going to take a miracle, given our culture. I don't, I don't, are you okay with praying for miracles? I want to pray for miracles. And then that they would go all over this globe. They'd go to places like China. They'd go to places like Eastern Europe. They'd go to places like South America. They'd go to places like Africa. They'd go to all the known world to be a blessing because God has blessed their generation. God has blessed their nation so that other nations might be blessed. And I pray that kind of thing for them all the time. Y'all, let's start praying that miracle prayer. Can you? Can you start praying for the generations that will come from your family line? You say, well, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have any. Stop it. Are you kidding? Have you seen, did you see all these kids? I'm going to tell you something right now. You're not even going to believe I'm going to say this. It's going to irritate some of you. Your church family is more important than your family family. Your church family you're with for all eternity some of your own family's not going to be there. You might as well go ahead and get used to the church family. We're going to be together for a long time. You get it? So all these kids, this is your next generation, y'all. I believe it for my blood family. I believe it for my church family. I want to pray miracle prayers. And this is the promise, I believe, of the Magnificat. If you're crazy like Mary and willing to say, I'm in the ready position as the slave of God. I have no more rights. All my rights belong to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I give all my rights to Him. Do with me what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Eh, Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. But if it's your will, let me have no things. I freely and demonstrably lift up my life to you. Take it. Whatever you want from now on, God. I am your slave. And then from there to say, and inasmuch as you want me to in my life, Give me the grace to switch the price tags. I don't want to think politically like the Democrats. I don't want to think politically like the Republicans. I don't want to think politically like the socialists. I want to think politically like the mighty one of Israel, like God Almighty. That didn't get quite the amen I thought it might. It's because we've chosen up sides, haven't we? Give up the side. Let's go with God. I know how you vote. I know. It doesn't matter how you vote. What matters is you've given up your vote to Jesus. 
You're doing what he wants you to do with that boat. You're doing what he wants you to do with your time. That's what slavery to God means. All of a sudden, we've changed the political price tag. We've changed the social price tag. We've changed the economic price tag. My money is no longer mine. It all belongs to God. Let him determine what I'm going to do with it. We've changed the spiritual price tag. And yep, we've changed the family price tag. Who switched the price tags? Once you come to God and become a slave, he did for you. Now it's your turn to do it in your life. The greatest thing that could happen this Christmas is to recognize Jesus is going to come through your life into the world and change dozens, hundreds, thousands of people through his influence, through you. Remember now, Jesus came into and out of Mary. In a different way, but in a similar way, Jesus comes into you and now out of your life through your salt and light activity every day. If you want to change the world, if you want to change your generations, if you want to switch the price tags, take Christmas seriously. Will you please stand? Father, Son, and Spirit. I read this thing. It was probably a, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl and think, she's crazy. Make us crazy like that. Make Dayspring crazy like that. And all the crazy means, if you look it up, is significantly deviating from the norm. At least that's the eighth definition down there if you read through seven. I mean, you finally get to that one. Lord, we want to significantly deviate from the norm. We want to be holy as you are holy. Make us like that by your grace. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.